Hello, and welcome to the Raising Family podcast, brought to you by thefamilyproclamation.org. I'm David Steele. I'm Linda Hill. And I'm Brent Anderson. In this podcast, we'll explore both ancient and modern scripture, as well as quotes from living prophets. We'll also discuss peer-reviewed scientific research that complements and confirms the clear, repeated, united teachings of the prophets. Thank you for subscribing and joining us as we share stories that we hope will help bring the family of proclamation to the world into your world. Welcome to the Raising Family Podcast. I'm your host, David Steele, and today we are with Andrew Young, who has been kind enough to come and share uh, some stories with us. We're super excited to hear from him. Um, he's got some amazing things to share with us, uh, and basically, I'm just going to give you a quick overview of some of his, you know, kind of a background sheet uh, bio, and then uh, we're going to read paragraph nine, which is kind of what we're focusing on today. And then I'll turn it over to Andrew to kind of talk more about himself and his family and also what he has done for work in the past and what he's currently doing. And then we'll dive into the juicy goods. So we're excited. Sounds good. Happy to be here. Thanks guys. Yep. Thank you. Um, so Andrew Young graduated from BYU with a bachelor's in animation with a computer science emphasis. He's worked for Microsoft, DreamWorks, KSL, Epic Games, and currently is a studio production manager at Sunrun uh, here in Lehigh. Um, I believe that's an energy company um, mm -hmm. that deals with renewable energies. That's correct. Yeah. Um, so today we're focusing on paragraph nine and I'm just going to read it and then we'll turn some time over to Andrew. Um, so paragraph nine is we call upon responsible citizens and officers of government everywhere to promote those measures designed to maintain and strengthen the family as the fundamental unit of society. I would just follow that paragraph up with and be ready for the repercussions for doing so. <laughs> you got to have a, you got to have a backbone to do that. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. We're excited to hear that. Um, so why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your family um, and then a little bit about your work. Yeah, you bet. Uh, the wonderful people who do this podcast wanted me to come on to tell a story of what happened when I was at DreamWorks in regards to the proclamation of the family. It's funny how your worlds collide in the funniest places. So I'm going to tell that story. It's a tough story to tell. So you want to stick through it and you'll want to listen to it because it's really relevant, really applicable. And when it happened to me, um, it wasn't very common. Now it's becoming very common. Um, you'll hear from me, but I'm really three people. I'm a craftsperson, so you'll hear that come out like an artist. Mm -hmm. That kind of person is quiet. They don't talk very much, and they're into their craft like an artist. So I'm kind of that guy. That's how I got into the movie industry, through art. Got a cool scholarship for it. They denied me for math, but said, yeah, we're bringing you in for the art. But yeah, so I'm a craftsperson, but I also grew up in Alpine, grew up in the church. My grandfather's Brigham Young's so were as deep as you get. So I'm also a churchy guy. So you'll hear that. So I'm passive. I don't like aggression. I don't like to get in fights. I don't like to ruffle feathers like none of us do. Um, but my career was in the most aggressive, most critical, most polarizing industry you can find. And that is media. And that's where art took me. And so you're going to hear that side as well. And that's where I got polarized. Um, like you'll see, I'll use the example Reagan. You know, Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. So Ronald Reagan wasn't... Uh, even though I'm, we're talking religion, he wasn't very political early on, right. but the movie industry, because it forced him into corners, took him to a place he probably wouldn't have gone. That's what happened to me in regards to religion. Right. It was also sort of political too, but mostly religious. So anyways, yeah, if, if your audience can stand up, if they left right now and they said, 
you know, I'm going to reread that thing. I'm going to reread that because people say proclamation of the family. Take the 30 seconds to reread it. Look at what's going on and you will find an endless array of places where you can help people understand it, be an example for it, defend it, and it will help your community just like it says in the last paragraph. It will help your your own household. It'll help your immediate circle and the, and, and the greater circle that we're having so many problems with. Right. So anyways, that's probably the most Yeah, so stick around because it's going to get pretty gnarly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a tough story and it has a tragic ending that I'm still trying to solve. So maybe your listeners can help me solve it. Um, the other thing is that I try to do stuff on the side. So if anyone is interested and want to hear what I try to do for scriptures and other good shows, head, uh, head over. Uh, I just started it. It's a great scripture show into the verse uh, on YouTube. It just started. It's super fun. You can actually call in. It's live. And uh, it is 100% focused on getting as deep into actually the words of things like the proclamation of the family or verses. I'm getting better at it. But come on, you, you can check it out. If you can't find it because Spider-Man takes over all the search, type in <laughs> into the verse, male and female, and you'll see a video uh, of some fine young ladies and myself talking scriptures on the Huntington Beach coast. And boy, was it profound there. So anyways, yeah, let's uh, lead me where you want to go and I'll, and I'll take it where you want to go. Okay. So why don't first you just give a, uh, just a little bit about, I mean, the story mainly is about DreamWorks, right? It's kind of a... Yeah. But in finding that story, it, uh, you now will see it everywhere. Right. We, we, are, we are craftsmen, these artists that work on these films. We are not propaganda artists. We are not people who are trying to... Uh, create anything other than a great story to inspire and uplift right. people. So that's the kind of people. So when you talk DreamWorks, Disney, Pixar, Sony, um, Blue Sky, some of these have gone under, ILM, any of them, that's where uh, George Lucas makes Star Wars. For all these people, we're craftspeople, we're creators. Yeah. The world of conflict is only at our disposal to tell a story, but not to push people in that direction. But sadly, it's been overtaken. Even Disney, even ESPN Sports that we love, comedy, animation, children's animation, has been taken over by other groups. And I can name some of them. Other groups with the intent to do what I learned in the industry, what is called social engineering. I had never heard that term. No one had ever told me that term, but I learned it on the fifth floor in the Silicon Valley when they were asking me to go through all the videos and tell what a religious audience would be offended of, they brought up the term social engineering. And I found out that a lot of the media and other industries like um, education and universities, like journalism, which I've also worked in, um, and several others, even corporate business, are using campaigns to do what is called social engineering. Right. Many people will say the people are adding agendas in movies or video games or comic books or music or any of these industries. They are not adding agendas. They are designing and crafting narratives to social engineer, principally the people who have not formed their opinions yet, which is mostly children under the age of 14. Right. And that's what we were doing at DreamWorks. So, uh, anyways, we'll get into that story. Yeah. So, so what did you? What were you doing at DreamWorks? What was kind of the beginning? Yeah, DreamWorks was on? DreamWorks was exactly what it was—a dream job, where you work with people that you've studied about in history books, Jeffrey Katzenberg, mm -hmm. um, Steven Spielberg. You study about them, and then you're in the elevator with them. 
And I will tell you this, they're just as amazing in person as their movies are and as the reputation that you would think they are. They are creative geniuses. In fact, that's one of the words they use at DreamWorks if you're really good. So they luckily called me a genius. (laughs) I think I'm a hard, hard worker, but they called me that. Um, because of my quickness, you know what that one of the measurements they would do when I'll hear funny, they would hold a ruler up and they, you would have to time how quick you could catch it when they were falling. Cause they wanted to know how quick you were just crazy things like that. And if you were snapping, if you yeah. were on fire, they knew you could do that verbally. They knew you could do that story-wise. So they would do a lot of different tests just to give you an idea. When you work at DreamWorks, you have to take three months without a job and they do what's called a test or a challenge. And they basically put you through the worst type of work you can think of. And the most difficult, they even screw with you and do funny stuff to try to mess with you to see what you'll do. Mm. And for three months, you're basically being tested to see if you deserve to have a job there. So anyways, I got in out of BYU. Yeah, yeah, I made it. You made it through. (laughs) I made it through. I was like, my dad used to do that with a $100 bill. He'd hold it up and see if he'd catch it. Yeah, yeah. So I made it it through. And uh, what I did is I got in, even though I'm an artist and a creative person slash tech person, I got in because I could do something. If anyone is interested in getting into the industry, which I would recommend with a caveat that I'll explain later, I got in because I knew how to do something that no one knew how to do well at the time. In fact, I had three calls, one from Microsoft saying, come work on these video games. And at the, pro- at, at the time, they were working on something called Project Natal. It's a beautiful project. Where we're just starting to do uh, widespread right now, but it's called Project Natal, where people would interact with AI characters. So I was really fascinated with that, wanted to get into it. So I took the Microsoft job, but right then I had another call from Disney saying, we want you to come work on Rapunzel. We've got this great movie and we need people like you because what I did is hair. Right. That's what I was like master of, hair. Oh, so Rapunzel was perfect for you. <laughs> so right? yeah, and I made the worst mistake of my art career. I turned Disney down twice. Yeah. They said, we'll move you from Seattle. We'll bring you down to to Burbank. We want you to work on this movie. But at the time, they weren't so cool. They weren't Disney at the time. They hadn't done Wreck-It Ralph. They hadn't done uh, Tangled. And I could have worked on her hair. I turned it down, sadly. I spent three months at Microsoft. They made me a great offer to stay, probably the most money I've ever made. And uh, I just looked at it. And at the time, I had buddies in Afghanistan, like getting shot up. At the time, Iraq was just like still unsettled. Amazingly, it's back to that. And uh, I was just like in a beautiful office, Bellevue, Washington, closed the door. I don't even have an office this nice now where I work. Closed the door, had anything at my disposal, caught food, whatever I wanted. Some of the best artists, the most money you can get anywhere is probably Microsoft or Apple. So I had that. And I'm just like looking at the computer and I'm like doing blood spots. Like, or I'm just like making a weapon. Or, or like a villain to crawl around and blow people up. Right. And I'm just like, I, I can't, I can't not, I didn't know yet what happened when you run out of money. <laughs> we'll get there later. But that might've been my naive blessing was I didn't value money. And so what happened was I just, I can't do this. I mean, it was Black Ops, um, Gears of War, God of War, um, if I was lucky, I could have been uh, Force Unleashed on the Star Wars series or like Forza or something like that. They didn't have Minecraft at the time. I could have gone to 343 Halo. But still, it's just like at the end of the day, what is the result? And we'd take right. boys, we'd take boys in rooms, we'd be behind glass, we'd have them play a video game, and we'd be like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? 
every single time just to get the kid, mostly males, they can't get females, they're trying so hard, just to get the boy to play as long as possible. And all of it started breaking up, like, oh, the achievements, they weren't actually to give anyone a reward. <laughs> they were right. just to track how far a player got so they could make sure they'd get to the next one next time. Right. So it just started breaking down. And so I, I bailed on, I, I bailed on Microsoft, tough decision. And DreamWorks made an offer, went to DreamWorks and it was everything you wanted, everything you wanted. The people were bright. The, <clears throat> the technology was like on point, on fire. It was like the latest and the greatest. Katzenberg was pushing it like nothing. Kung Fu Panda had just come out number two. It was blowing up. And so it was the right place to be at the right time. And I was on the right projects. I worked on Madagascar, um, doing Alex the Lion's Mane and facial animation for crazy like positions. I was like a one-off guy. Right. Whenever there was a specialty shot that needed special execution, they would put me on it. Uh, I principally worked on the villain um, and also the penguins, Marty, when he does the Afro circus. Um, did a lot awesome. of Yeah, yeah. And then uh, <laughs> on to Mr. Peabody and Sherman. This is where the proclamation of the family comes in. So I know it well, but you wouldn't call me a guy who's like a Peter Priesthood by any means, mm -hmm. even though I think that's cool. Um, but no, I've never been a conformist and I've never been a straight lacer. I, but, I've, but I've always been a fighter for good, yeah. like a lion. Okay. I've always been that way. And, uh, so I never fit in, in the church growing up. I never fit in with the church guys on the mission. I never fit in, but I fought for good always. So I'm the kind of guy that where you're like, you want me as your friend, not your enemy. <laughs> and so, uh, um, and so I'm, I'm God's friend. Yeah. So it works out. So what happens is at DreamWorks, we just dominated on Madagascar 3, $73 million the first weekend, and it grows. Everyone's happy. Everyone's getting bonuses. Everyone's stoked. Everyone is just like on cloud nine. My first film, it blows up in the theaters. Your name's in the credits. Everyone's calling you. Everyone wants to come visit you. It, it just financially, that's the success at a studio. If it does great, everyone's happy. If that weekend doesn't go great, you a lot of people got a problem because there's going to be layoffs and there's going to be a lot of problems. So I never saw that. Amazingly, I wasn't on a film that did that, but a lot of people did. We jump off of that and you get to go on this thing called gap. That means where you get like seven weeks of kind of chill time. So I worked right. on a little piece uh, for Rocky and Bullwinkle. This is when I started getting inklings of what was really going on at the studio. And then I was ready to jump on to the next big production, Mr. Peabody and Sherman. And my dream was to go on to uh, How to Train Your Dragon, would have been number three, which mm -hmm. was, oh gosh, just to give you an idea, at DreamWorks and most of these studios, when they announce a new movie, this is what they do, or this is what they did for us. Yeah. They chartered a plane, like a plane, because we're in San Francisco. They put all of us on a plane. They fly us to Los Angeles, to the Los Angeles studio. They take us to Universal Studios, to the back huge, uh, to the back huge, um, I, I want to call it a theater, but it's much bigger than a theater, mm -hmm. like what you're, what you're accustomed to. And then they showcase every secret project that we're all working on and people get to choose what they want to work on. And so everyone goes on the, 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 the new Puss in Boots goes, the, the, the new, um, Trolls movie that you've seen, Boss Baby. It's funny. Yeah. These movies are four years in the making. So they're coming out now, yeah. but I was there when they were starting. Uh, the Boss Baby movie, all these people, the, the new Penguins movie, they all come out with the, and then Pixar does the same thing. So does Disney. Uh, they come out and the directors get up and put on this big, big, 
dog and pony show so that people want to work on those movies because they have the best artists there and they want to attract them to their movie. And the How to Train Your Dragon guy gets up and he doesn't do anything. He just points his little clicker and be like, so this is what's going to happen. This is going to happen. This is after people have dressed up and put on music and like right. put on the hugest show. And he goes like, and then this is going to happen. And then this, and he's showing like these pictures of icebergs and, you know, hiccups, hiccups, father dying and like his mother and him getting married to Astrid mm -hmm. and your mind is just blown. You are, just, he didn't even have to dress it up at all. And we were all just like, this is the greatest. Like we have to be on that this movie. This is the dream of dreams. This one will last generations. And something interesting for you guys to know is that. Animation is one of the few products that people consume the exact same fashion they did a hundred years ago. So your kids, me, will watch Pinocchio or Snow White in the exact same way that Walt Disney and his artists created the nine old men. Their exact same vision comes across. Not like a car that changes, not like a chocolate bar that's, that's going to mold and change. Maybe architecture is similar where we experience the same. It was one of the few products that you might not get paid like an investment banker, but you have what's called social capital that lasts forever. So it's really cool to be on these movies that are going to go on for over a hundred years yeah. and people are going to watch them. It doesn't necessarily happen with live action movies. For some reason, they date differently where you see an old black and white movie and you're like, yeah, yeah, this isn't holding up. For some reason, Bambi holds up. No one really knows why. There's just yeah. this sort of timeless artistic thing where you've put something that's going to last forever. So this is the this is what's going through your head. I want to yeah. be on that. I want to be on that project. So I got on because I'm pretty new. I'm only about two years there. I got on to uh, Mr. Peabody and Sherwin. Not my first favorite, but I'm not about to call shots at that point. Right. <laughs> So I get on, the project's fun, you know, the kid's cool, the girl's cool, not, not my style, the director is from Lion King, and the producer's from Lion King and uh, Beauty and the Beast. When I say Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, I'm talking about the, the, the classics at Disney. Right. And uh, we, uh, we're excited to work for him. We're excited to work for him. We're excited for the project. Mr. Peabody and Sherman is an old favorite, so it's got some like legacy to it. Right. And we get on it, and I'm going to cut it really short because we've worked on it at this point, six to eight months. We're really deep in production. You don't see the whole movie from the tiny shots. As an artist, you're getting a shot, almost like a conveyor belt. You're doing your thing on it and you're passing it to the next guy. You're getting a shot. You're passing it to the next guy. 2,500 people working on these shots. Yeah. Okay. That's Lots incredible. of different teams. So it's much more like a conveyor belt. They call it a pipeline. It's changing a little bit now, but it's still sort of that way. So finally we get to a meeting where the director and the producer are going to unveil how the movie's coming. It's made to get the artists excited, keep them invigorated. And the whole studio comes together. They come together and the director and producer show the status of the movie. Okay. They show if there's an animation shot that's completed, that's in there. If it's just a storyboard, they show the storyboard. So they show whatever point the movie's yeah. at, they show the whole thing. It's really fun. You're sitting from guys from France who are like doodling in their sketchbook and they're amazing. You're like by the guy that made Shrek. You know, you're, you're in this room with like the guy in front of you is the guy who made Lion King, which will last a hundred years. Yeah. Um, this is our boss, Jeffrey Katzenberg. That's his story. So what happened at DreamWorks was they brought us in a room they showed the whole movie of Mr. Peabody and Sherman. And right about at the end, they say, well, all right, we're going to bring it open for some questions. And this is when my life changed. The people, a couple people make some questions. Gay guy pops up. We were friends. I can't remember his name. And he 
gets up barking, like kind of aggressive. Like, what are you guys doing? He's talking to the producer, Alex. Her name is Alex. Mm -hmm. He's talking to the producer and he says, what is the motivation of the villain? Like this, 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 this movie doesn't make any sense. What are you guys doing? Like, and this is when it all blew up. So Alex, um, producer, uh, she's kind of a frazzled lady. When she got up, everyone's like, Ugh, this, yeah, I'm not sure she's got playing with a full deck of cards. And she goes on and she says, well, you know, you know, those religious zealots that voted for proposition eight, you know, those, that's the motivation. And this is on film. They have the archive of this footage of her saying this. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And so do the people in there. They know this and it gets worse later on. And so the whole room of artists, craftspeople, people that spend their entire lives, uh, perfecting their craft. Basically we're told you're making propaganda. And we're like, okay, we get this as a political issue right now, especially in California. In fact, it was passed. It was after the Proposition 8, which if you don't know and you're listening or you're young, Proposition 8 was the big push in California that was trying to go to all other states, which was making marriage legal between uh, a man and a man versus a man and a woman. It was basically the big fight over marriage. Should it be defined yeah. between a man and a woman or should it be, be, be defined anything goes? We're now in the world of anything goes. Uh, thankfully, our religion had come out with the proclamation of the family years before, which is what is about to come up, um, defining it, uh, putting the stake in the ground, explaining it, not just marriage, but that we were spirits before male and female and that it's part of our divine future. Right. And now, I mean, it's really deep. People, people think it's a proclamation of the family. I, I, they got to make, if there's one uh, recommendation really quick I'd make to the church, you got to canonize that ASAP. You got to, you got to get that in there really fast. If you don't, if you don't get that in there quick, people will keep looking at it as a letter and it is not a letter. It is doctrinal and it's not taking away anything from the Bible. It's only reinforcing it. In fact, it's explaining it. If they don't get that canonized quick, it's never going to be validated as what it is. And by the way, everyone else knows how dangerous it is and they're attacking it. So what happens is she blows up the story and says, we are creating a villain and the motive of the villain is that of a religious zealot for, who voted for Proposition 8, which is you could you could parse that phrase and be like, draw so much from it. But basically it's hatred. Okay. Right. Basically it's hatred for people that thought different. Okay. And it is a tool for political power. That's what we're doing. That's what she is saying. Right. Okay. And so all of a sudden it gets really quiet and the gay guy, he, uh, great title. He, uh, he doesn't really accept it. And you can tell, wait, what? What? And he kind of sits down like a little offish and all of us at that point, at least me and several others are not only quiet, but we're going back through the movie, Mr. Peabody and Sherman. We're going back through the movie and we're like, oh my gosh. And we're going back through every single piece of the movie and saying, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. That's why that part is in there. Oh my gosh. That's why that, oh my gosh. And then it dawns on us. This is not a movie. We, we're, we're screwing with people. We're just screwing with them. This is not that we're, we're, 
what and that, 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 you can hear me talk. This is where we left. This is where we left. So we leave the meeting and I'm sitting on it for a little while and it is quiet. It is quite, you have just destroyed the magic of every single artist in this studio. By the way, everyone gets fired in the end. That's how the story ends. I left two years before it happens. There's a video. You can look it up. Um, the main animator for Trolls, Alejandro Pal... I can't say his name. He's from Spain. Alejandro Pal... I can't... Padilla or something. He put it up and he droned footage every single person getting fired at DreamWorks Studio before it got sold. You can't oh make goodness. this up. You can't make this up. And they're all waving. They're all waving. It's the saddest thing in the news. So you can look that up. Um, saddest movie I've ever seen is PDI DreamWorks going bankrupt, bust, and everyone getting fired. Thankfully, the story I was able to leave about a year and a half before that happened. So I'm in a position now where I've got my job. I've got the career that I love and DreamWorks, and I, I, I can't do it. It's like Microsoft. I can't do it. Um, again, money is not a factor. And so now you're just looking at it. What am I creating? You're not just creating candy like Madagascar three, which was just a starburst, you know, sugar rush. Now we're creating actual, what I learned the term is in at DreamWorks social engineering. So I bring it up to my managers. I say, uh, okay, whoo, she's a nice lady. She's my manager's manager. I say, okay, I gotta, I gotta get off this. I, I can't, I can't stay on the movie. And I got to get my name off the credits. And she's like blown away. She's like, are you kidding me? Wow. Like wh- what happened? And so I relayed the story of what the producer and the director just explained to us. By the way, I sat on this for about three weeks before I was able to do it because, and every single day was a dark, like uh, tug of war. Do you keep your head down? Do you take, did you take your checks? Do you just like, I mean, you're in a really influential spot with a lot. I mean, you go out on Friday nights and you are with the who's who's not just from DreamWorks, but this is not in LA. This is in San Francisco. You're with the Apple guys and the Facebook guys and gals. You're with the Pixar. They're all going to the same bars. Only one who doesn't drink. So, um, I tell the, I tell the manager and she, uh, she says, I'm going to have to, oh, well, first thing is, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. Let's put you on a different movie. What do you want to do? This is where the dream comes out. Wow. My dream is how to train your dragon. Whoa. We'll make that dream happen. That dream is now. Oh, you, wow. got, you got that dream now. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I'm pretty sure we're doing this on all of our movies, which we were, I found out, uh, Kung Fu Panda, uh, how to train your dragon three was very little, but yes. Um, the trolls is like one social engineering campaign. Uh, boss baby a little bit and I can go through specific examples, but I'll go through the specific examples, which were happening on the film we were doing, which is the proclamation of the family. So I told her, I said, look, this isn't between us. Um, yeah, I I can't, I can't do it. I got to go. She's all, well, someone's giving you another offer, right? Cause I can match it. I can match the other offer. I can get some more money for you thinking, cause that's why most people leave. They're going to get another offer. I said, I have no other offers. In fact, I have no idea what I'm going to do other than I'm going to start my own stuff. Um, and she said, okay, I got to think about this. So my direct manager, Damon, who I love, but totally knows he is manipulating and propagandizing children and needs it, needs to stop it. So does Katzenberg, even though he's gone now. So does Geffen. So does Spielberg. If they want 
the magic of movies and storytelling to continue. They have got to step in. Stop worrying about the money you're going to lose because you're already losing it. Stop worrying about the studio influence and the Academy Awards. No one respects any of that stuff anymore. No one. No one thinks it's real. No one thinks anyone's actually getting an award. No one. Name one person who's like, yeah, it's because the merit of that quality of that film. Not a chance. No one thinks the studios are rolling large or living large. We go to Hollywood, it looks like a friggin' dump. It looks like a third world country. Sorry to, sorry to compare it to a third world country. I was just there. Like, you've destroyed it. It's already in shambles. The only thing you're holding on to is government helping you along the way and pharmaceutical commercials. That's the only thing limping along mainstream media right now. And it's, it's so sad. You've got to get in and fix it. I'm trying to do it. Other people have got to do it. Um, and this spirals into the tech industry as well, because now they're involved with, with uh, Amazon Prime and Netflix and the others. So the manager comes down, Damon, and he says, we got to talk. Brings me up to a room. And he's like, oh, I just heard what happened. Uh, first, he tries to talk me out of it. Okay, well, just so you know, if you leave, this is going to be really hard. Like, it's really hard. He was right. It is really hard to leave because you have to pay for yourself. If you have a family, you're on your own. And he says, you know what? I want you to show me every part that you think is offensive in this film. So he brings me up into the room. He puts on the movie and he says, we're going to watch it. And I want you to show me every part that will make an audience uh, offended or feel like it's a problem. It lasted five minutes because within the five minutes of the show, I said, and this is where I learned. I didn't know this. Yeah. I said, just Google that phrase. And the phrase that we were talking about is the foundation of our society is the family. Just Google that phrase and watch what comes up. You don't need to tell me what's going to make a group offended. Just Google it and watch what comes up. Look what you're doing. Yeah. And they would always say, you sure we're doing this? I'm like, well, the director and the producer said we are. And they'd always be like, ah, oh, yeah, dang it. I really wish they wouldn't have said that. Like, the cat's out of the bag. And he Googles the word, and this is what he says. Dang it. <clears throat> the Heritage Foundation and the Catholic Church is popping up. And yeah, there's a proclamation of the family. Is that your church? Yeah, but what, do you, what are we doing? That's what it, and he's like, okay, stop. He's telling us that we are not being deceptive enough. And I was like, what? You know about this? Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, this is beyond my pay scale. That's what he said. This is beyond my pay scale. And he sent me to the, the producer above almost everything. Her name is Holly. Right. And so uh, I go into Holly's office. She's the main producer of the whole studio. She says, I got to hear this from the horse's mouth. And this is a longer meeting, but the big takeaways from this meeting, and by the way, every meeting that had... I left the meeting surprised at not just how much they were doing it, but how much they were doing it and knew and were actively pushing it. Like it, I, it, you didn't leave the meeting saying, well, maybe they're just good people who, you know, just are like, think this is a good cause. No, 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 no. It, you left each meeting with it cemented, solidified that not only do they know, but they're architecting it. Oh, that's crazy. So what she explained or what I learned is that this is how it works. You take a concept from a group of people who you despise or are in your way. In this case, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Catholic Church, the Heritage Foundation. These are the targets amongst others. You take the things they believe and say, the core things they say. You have a villain or someone people have brought up to hate 
do something psychotic, and then you have them say those phrases. Thus, the child or the viewer associates psychopaths with that idea. That's how layered it is. Can you believe that? That is is mind-blowing. That's why even I didn't perceive it while I was working on it. And again, I'm just working on shot by shot, so I can't see the big bird's eye view. Only when when you see the bird's eye view, it's much easier. If you want me to dissect it, I will go through every piece of social engineering. But the worst one that you should know about is how they show elderly, how they show tradition. This was one of the main things we were targeting. Destroy tradition, destroy elderly, destroy masculinity. Every man is an idiot, especially if he's straight, okay? He's bumbling. He's not smart. This is by design, especially if he's patriarchal. He stands in the way of a lot of industries and a lot of groups that want power and want money, both domestic and foreign, okay? And the reason is because those things are associated with a higher power. And when you get rid of a higher power, God, religion, patriarchy, any of these things, something can take its place. And what takes its place is whatever they want. A government, a leader, a tyrant, whatever they want. This is the why. This is the why social engineering is necessary. You have got to cripple the thing and make a void of power. Okay. sounds like a story. It's a real life. By the way, the studios are not domestic. We are working day and night with China. We are working day and night with Eastern Europe, Russia, all of the other European countries because they want all that money. So anyways, yes, there are very much interested parties in having the second to last paragraph of the proclamation of the family happen, which is that the calamities and the disillusion and the breakdown of the society, culture, family will happen based on this breakup of the core unit, which is a family. Right. A, and here's another thing. you got to change the words. This is, a, this is a knowledgeable learning thing from the world of movies. You have got to choose the right words. You've got to stop saying nuclear family. It is the worst way you can describe the core fundamental building block of civilization. You have got to say the working family, the proven family, the family that has always made things better. Nuclear is a terrible word, and I'm pretty sure that phrase, nuclear family, was designed by people wanting to destroy the family, and it's just been cast on everyone as a normal phrase. you got to stop saying that, everyone. It's got to be the working family, the proven family, the stable family, the pillar family. You've got to explain it that way because otherwise people are getting misled. Who wants to be part of a nuclear family? It sounds like it's about to blow up. Yes. No one. Okay. Who wants to be part of the only stable core unit that makes every country, every society, every, every great strong city, every great strong town work. There's nothing proven better than a stable male father, stable female mother rearing a child. Nothing. Even if you respect the other forms of families, they still cannot prove that they are a better building block or a better societal contribution than stable male father, stable female mother, married before having kids, and enduring as long as possible. The more years, the more stable it becomes for multiple generations. And this is Johns Hopkins, Dr. Dr. Blum, who brings all all of this up from, from looking at all of the studies, you can see that. So anyways, my manager takes me out of the room. I go into Holly's room and she's where it ends. She says, I got to hear this from the horse's mouth. And I told her the story of what happened. She said, well, is there any way we can keep you? What'll make you stay? 
And this is the, what I'll call a $300,000 lesson because that's how much it costs me to give it up for that stage of life. What's going to keep you here? I told him two things. I said, let's do this. Let's either take it out or tell people what we're doing. If you, if I feel like it's fair, if you're going to social engineer kids and their families, you got to at least tell them that we have views that we hold to be very important. I would use the example of what if we taught people that they should have guns? There's a whole wing of America that thinks guns are okay. The wing I worked in in San Francisco is the opposite. So I tried to use something where they would understand they would never want their children learning that. And they would, they, they said, oh, I would, I would be, I'd be infuriated. I said, well, this is what these people are going to feel when you're throwing this up on them. And I said, either tell them what you're doing or you need to take it out. And she said the, the, the phrases that I'll never forget in the great lesson, she said, well, we're not going to tell people because they would be furious. Okay. We're not going to tell people because they would be furious. So I got, I got that one hit off really quick. I'm not going to tell anyone because if we tell people they're going to be furious, it's going to hurt our bottom line. And we're not going to take it out unless the audience gets mad. I was like, holy crap, the audience has power over the content. I had no yeah. idea. I thought it was the director. It's the opposite. You have power over the content. The way you exercise that power in theaters or on social media is by not consuming it or asking for your money back. You can do that at a theater. People don't know that when you go to a movie theater, you are not paying the movie theater to see the movie. You are paying the studio that made it. They make their money from the concessions and a little bit later on, but you're paying the studio. If you rip that money back, it goes all the way back to the top and they know you didn't see it. So she says, the only way we would take it out is if an audience got mad. That's it. That's worth $300,000. You're in control of the content being produced. What you purchase in the movie you go and watch on social media, Netflix, or whatever it is, the show, is you are funding more of that same content. When we got money for Madagascar 3, we knew we were making Madagascar 4. You said there's no Madagascar 4. Yes, it's called Penguins. We just changed the name. When we made Shrek 2, Shrek 3, Shrek 4, and we're like, we can't do... We can't do five. It's just, it gets ridiculous. We made Puss in Boots because it kept bringing in money. Right. You're perpetuating the same kind of media by what you consume. So I left, I said, okay, that's, if that's not going to happen, how can I stay? How can I stay? How can, how can we keep going with this? Why, why would we keep doing this? And luckily I'm good enough that I could go wherever I wanted. So I thought once you leave like that, you're blacklisted. So I couldn't go to Pixar, Disney, all these people that want to make offers no more. Now I apply oh, wow. to them and I get the letter back. Uh, sorry, we got to find someone with better skill sets. Never before was that the case. They were knocking down my door. And so uh, I have one week left and guess what they do? They bring the whole studio together. They brought every single artist up to San Francisco, up to the Pacific Shore Center where DreamWorks was located. They bring us all in there. And this is a story I don't think I've ever told uh, and it is on camera. They have it. And I wish they would release it. They bring the director. They bring the producer who are acting like scared. Sorry, little girls, little girls. And they realize for the first time, people know what they're doing. And by the way, this is 2013, 2014. This was not okay to talk about. I was considered a conspiracy theorist for bringing right. this kind of stuff up to other people outside of the studio. And then I have to tell them, no, no, I, I, I don't think this... I work there. This is happening where I work still. So they have this last huge meeting. The director gets up and they tell everyone this. Welcome, everyone. They always sugarcoat it with big smiles and stuff. 
Welcome, everyone. We want to go over some of the movie things. We want to tell you about some updates on Mr. Peabody and Sherman. They give us all these like good things. It's going great in Estonia, and it's going great in Brazil, and we have this huge marketing team in Pizzazz and Lada Lada. And then, by the way, we've made huge changes. So there's no more throwing axes, and there's no more, uh, there's no more of this, and there's no more of this. They were telling us they removed it all. Because the way they were targeting the proclamation of the family was Grunion at the very end when there's cop cars around and they're trying to steal the child who's a real child being adopted to a dog, which was all part of the fabric of the social engineering. The child's getting taken away and Grunion comes out and chucks all these axes and screams, like I explained how you do it before. After chucking axes and screams, the foundation of our society is the family, like a psychopath. And then every time anyone hears any idea similar to that, they're going to associate it from their childhood memories because kids are not watching these once or twice. They're watching these 18 and 20 times a year. They like to watch the same thing over and over and over again. So it's really effective. And they say, we're taking that part out. We're taking that part out and the adoption stuff and we're changing her clothes. So she doesn't look like an LDS lady and we're changing this and we're changing this. They got rid of every single part that was targeting the heritage foundation that was targeting, uh, which I didn't even know about. Now I know about it. I support them. I think they're awesome because of why they support the family. They took out all of the parts from the proclamation of the family, which is, I guess the, the good thing I get to take from it. That is, that's the reward. That's the reward. I got the proclamation of the family out of DreamWorks movies. So I got it. It took my career to do it, but they realized if one guy was willing to quit over it, because it was me, me, a gay guy, a Texan, and a Jehovah Witness who were all starting to get angrier and angrier and angrier and voicing and voicing. And a couple people read letters. I will say this, there were other members of the church at the studio who knew what was going on and they chose the tactic of this. I'm not going to tell them what I think of their choice. Actually, well, I think it was awful. It was a terrible wrong choice. And had they joined in more verbally and more outwardly, I think we could have not only changed what they were doing, but we could have fixed the studio and we could have saved the studio. But everyone was too chicken to do anything about it. Okay. And these were members of the church and they knew what was happening and they were sitting right by me. And only one of them came up and talked to me and I hope he's doing well, but he should have been a bigger voice. And he said, you're never going to make a change here. The only way you'll ever make a change. And so I want this theory to go out there so you know when you're lying to yourself. He stopped me and says, the only way you'll ever... And by the way, he's much higher than I am. He's been there longer. He says, the only way you'll ever make a change in this type of a company or in this industry is if you work your way to the top and then you can make the change. Everyone got fired two years later. There was no working their way to the top. You're not safe either way. So you might as well just stand up for it. But dude, it is so effective at manipulating children. The he, him, his, her, the her, his, it, that, they, all of it, social engineering, architected years and years and years ago. The father is an idiot has been being done from 19, about 95. That has been that when that has started. The ant, it's actually not just this, just so you know, we weren't just targeting these groups. We were targeting capitalists. So Wall Street, but not just the buddy-buddy Wall Street, independent company Wall Street. So the ability to make your own company. So you'll see a lot of examples in our movies in Madagascar uh, talking about the evils of capitalism or being independent versus being a collective. So these are all woven in, but architected wow. in to make people start to uh, shun them, to make people associate them with psychopaths. That, that's what you're associating with. So they brought him in, and this is probably the saddest part. 
The director gets up and says, are there any questions now that we've told you that we're removing them? Basically, are you happy now? No one's going to quit, right? This is over, right? And guess who stands up? The gay guy, <laughs> the what? The spearhead, the spearhead stands up. I respect him so much. I respect him so much because he saw it. And why did he hate it so bad? Why did he hate it? He hated it because they were ruining the story. He didn't care about the politics. He didn't care about religion. He didn't care about who we were targeting. He didn't care about who was getting hurt. Maybe he did. He didn't vocalize it. He cared that we were destroying the movie and the characters sucked. That's a craftsman. That's beautiful. That's awesome. That's rewardable. That is what we need. People that value value. And he valued a good film. He stands up again and says again, I could not believe it because he's not quitting. He hasn't blown the thing up like I have. He stands up again. Hey, uh, yeah, I heard your changes, but are you fixing the villain? <laughs> and they literally had nothing. This is all on camera, by the way. They're filming this in, in, in the big area where we would all eat. They couldn't even fit us. It was so big. And <laughs> they don't give him a good answer. Yeah, yeah, we're working on that. It's still like a hole. It's still like a problem. This is the guy who made Lion King. This is not an idiot. He knows. So I followed up. All right, pass me the mic. And this is what I ask. Okay, yeah, so in that regard... To go off his, are there any more political or anti-religious agendas that we're putting into our movie? And I get a look back from all of the big dogs in the front row. Rex and all of these. I mean, Rex, you don't even know. He's like Toy Story 1. He's like started at Pixar. It's like every single, everyone looks back. Are you kidding? Who is asking that? And then they see it's me. I'm a friend of everyone. We get a lot. And they know I'm, I'm good. So they respect me. Why is he saying that? And they look back to see what the answer is. I kid you not, the director took 15 seconds of dead silence and did not say a thing. He waited 15, you can time it on the footage, 15 seconds, does not say a thing and says not intentional and ends it. (laughs) Not intentional. You got to remember, you're talking about, you're talking to artists, you're talking to animators. We make things frame by frame. We're literally counting the frames that he delayed. That's what you do to a villain when you know they're lying. He waits 15 seconds and then says, not intentional or none. I mean, this is yours. This is not by accident. Nothing is in an animation. It's over a million dollars. It's probably about 3.5 million a minute for animation right now at a studio. You think they're going to make a, a wild card decision, just let it fly? None intentional. That was his answer for if we have any anti-religious or anti, uh, or, or any political campaigns we're putting into our children's movies. Movie ended. My manager came up and said, was that okay? Was that a good enough answer? Can we save this? <laughs> I love the answer, but he answered it before he said anything. No one delays that long. If we're not doing it, you don't need that long to figure out what the answer is. He said everything by saying nothing. It's in the silence. And I left and I watched it. I hoped for the best for him, but in the saddest world or the saddest consequence, I watched the studio completely cave. I watched it go out of business. I watched him have flop after flop after flop. 
And I will say it is not an easy solution to how this ends. And that's why I told people at the beginning, there's not a good solution other than that you got to create your own stuff. You got to be a Walt Disney. You got to, you got to be a John Lasseter, who by the way, was also kicked out of the industry for trying to make Woody and uh, Bo Peep. He wanted to make a beautiful love story and he's gone. How's Pixar doing? They were untouchable. They were untouchable. And they're going down the crap hole too. So uh, yeah, it's it's so sad. But yeah, the, the what you take away from this is you got to make stuff. If you cannot create the content on your own, say you want to do content like what these fine guys are doing, the, uh, the Proclamation of the Family podcast. If you can't do it on your own, fund these guys, give them a donation, help them. They have computers, they have audio, they have time, they have to drive from Idaho, right? Do you drive? Oh, yeah. Okay. They have to pay for that. This doesn't happen without people supporting them. You got to support them. You got to contribute to them. You don't wait till they ask. You find people who's doing this stuff. Make sure it succeeds. They need money. They need time. They need help. They need support. They need viewers. They need likes. They need follows. They need subscribers. So you do that and you learn that lesson. Who is in charge of media? And a lot about tech, who is in charge of the car industry, who is in charge of this podcast, the audience, the audience, and you will perpetuate what you consume and what you pay for. So those were the big lessons. I will find, I will end with this. I have a really hard time getting people of any church to help. They don't help. They don't care. Media is bad. Video games are bad. (laughs) They're only bad because people are using the tools to make garbage they you, they, you need to get involved. You need to get involved. We are sitting right now in a town of mansions. Everyone has a mansion. My family has a couple mansions. Okay. Everyone is filthy rich here. Everyone knows the gospel. They know the truths. Everyone has a far larger abundance than they need. You've got to start using it. You've got to start helping with it. You've got to start contributing. It starts with people being proactive, not reactive. Oh, we're in this sort of situation right now where there's health problems, so I'm going to drive and spend all my attention on that. No, no, that's reactive. The thing that is crushing people is opioids, breakup of the family, the loss of religion in people's lives. That is the cancers. This other stuff will come and go like it does every, I don't know, once in a while. You, you got to be proactive and not let the narrative, which is being pumped on you, constantly determine how you're navigating things in your life and your business and your family and stay the course, follow the North Star that you've got. This proclamation of the family, it's got to be canonized. I don't make those choices. I hope they will do it. It's got to be canonized and it's got to be the North Star. It's got to be the North Star. The good news is if you read this type of stuff, if you read other type of stuff, uh, things like the Proclamation Family, you will find that you don't need to fear. The people who follow God, who do God's stuff, who follow God's principles are protected. Okay. You don't got to fear. You just got to make sure that's established. You don't got to be worried about being, people being mean to you in Facebook or at DreamWorks or you losing your coworkers or your friends or your money. You get it back. You get it back. You get it back and you find it in good ways. And inside of everyone is something underneath all this clay that's on your face that makes up your hair, makes up your face, makes up your fingers, makes up your body. It's a spirit. And that spirit is where your intelligence is. And that intelligence will find 
other good things. It will be drawn to you as you go out and talk about things like the proclamation of the family. That spirit has intelligence and it's drawn like a magnet to other good things. And you'll find those people. You'll find that resources if that's what you lose, or you'll find those friends, or you'll find those relationships that you're scared of losing, or that credibility, or that prestige, or that career, or whatever it is that's standing in the way, which most people, for men, it's their career. I'm not sure what it is for women. Maybe friends or relationships. I'm not sure what the fear is of standing up for what you know is right, even though you know you're going to get a backlash, a barrage of uh, of negativity. It doesn't matter. Laughing doesn't hurt. Uh, taking away jobs doesn't hurt. Um, when you've gone and you've lost everything, you're actually in a really good spot because you realize you haven't lost anything. And that's why I found I lost it. all. I lost the career. I lost the money, but I, I, I didn't lose anything. It was easy. It was easy. So that's the story. Yeah. And thanks for sharing that. That's a, that's a pretty intense story really. And I think quite eye-opening. Um, I'm just curious of what you would say. I mean, there's a lot of people listening to this, probably some moms that got three kids running around. They're watching movies. They're doing this and that. Um, maybe just a brief, you know, what tips do you have for them to to kind of cleanse it's easy. It's easy. of these things and, Noth- and to seek good media? Yeah, nothing can replace you. So this is the problem and that they found. Nothing could replace a stable parent, even just one in influence and modeling. So say your daughter's love, by the way, I have a three-year-old daughter. Okay. She loves spirit. Who makes spirit? DreamWorks. (laughs) Okay. But anyways, I have a daughter, I have three sons and they watch this stuff. Okay. What do you do? Number one, you have to be the model. Okay. It's only media which is, it's, it means it only can have the effect they're trying to have. It can also, it could only socially engineer in a void of influence. So if you are a father and you are involved, if you are a mother and you are involved, it's fine. You just have to correct it. And in fact, it will be easy to correct. As you say, well, you know how they're doing that psychotic stuff. I learned from people who work there because more like me are coming out. I learned that they're doing that to try to trample on your religion to make it make it seem bad. But is do people at your church or do people who value families really throw axes at people? Do they really scream like that? Do you like having me as your mom and and your dad as your dad? Do you like how mom is more nurturing and she's gentler and dad is a little bit more, you know, dad is strong. He pushes things in a direction. He's a really great caretaker and a director and he'll take you to the top of the ski hill. And then when you fall, he'll carry you on your back down. That is the influence. The movies are supposed to be the entertainment, the cherry on top. They, they lost that. So the number one is for the parents, You've got to be the number one model. They're going to model something, and it's not a celebrity. We found we we study this in movies. We study this. It's not a celebrity who they follow. It is not even their friends who they will model. Okay, it is certainly not movies and, and, and media. You might think that's a model, but it can only be a uh, effective model and influence in a void of influence. So you've got to be there. You have to be involved. You have to be taking them. It, it's simple time. You, you, you've got to be spending time. You got to be the number one influence. That That's how to, that's how to do it. So, I mean, how did kind of being put in a position to defend the proclamation, um, 
you know, how did that change your testimony of the proclamation or help you see um, kind of some of the things that came out of the woodwork to help you in your testimony of the proclamation? Yeah. So I didn't have a testimony of the proclamation of the family. I was like most people. I didn't really care about it. I actually, maybe you do. The proclamation of the family was just this thing that church came out with. It was, you know, a cool thing that Hinckley did. And that was it. It wasn't like a daily like thing that was going to change my life, my career, my like, it was going to be a pivotal moment in my life. I had no idea. So no, only when it became the fiery furnace in between me and my company was when I had to build a testimony. I'd never tested it. I had never tested. That's what a testimony is when you test something. So when it became the battleground, I had to really decide, uh, am I, am I really for this thing or, or not? And hundred percent, hundred percent. So yeah, it, it, it made the testimony and I, there was something that triggered in your mind, a couple things when you leave a company and the money and the influence you have like that, a couple things go through your mind. And when you are forced into a corner uh, with something that you think is right, with something that you think is, and you have to decide whether you defend it or not, you leave a really weird place that you live most of your life in, and that is gray area. Uh, so I couldn't stay buddy-buddy with everyone. I couldn't stay chill and eat my delicious pizza every day that they make for you like in their beautiful oven, which I wish I still had. They, you, 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 you have to choose, you have to choose. And so I was forced by being in the corner. All of a sudden I understand the pioneers. I always was like, why would you walk through the snow? That must've been hard. It would, no, I get it. I get it. They were forced into a corner. I know now why you walk through the snow. I, I, it doesn't seem weird anymore. It doesn't seem hard to walk across the country in snow. They were pushed into a corner. That's why their testimony was, was so fired up. And their action was so uh, represented, was so uh, palatable, was so tangible. That's why, because they were forced into a corner. I had never gotten there, so I never had to do anything. Once you get there, you are forced to do something. You will do things you never expected. Um, You will... Your, your life will change based on you being put in the corner and you will go from that is a cool proclamation family thing. That's a kind of a nice church, like thing I'm going to put on my wall to no, no, I'll die for this. Like, this is it. I wouldn't die for it before, but now it's an easy choice. It's an easy choice because it's not that hard and you're, you're not going to die for it. You're going to live a way better life for it. The other thing is when you, when you're forced to like be in a position where security and finance is in one place and you have to leave that, you start to think like Moses and stuff. How did he leave Egypt? Like, how did he leave it? Is It's so wealthy and it was so nice, but you have to leave it. And once you leave it, you realize, oh, okay, I get it. I know why he left it now. He, it was more painful and more of a jail staying there than it was to leave it. So all of the pizza and the money and the parties and the friends groups all of a sudden become worth less than living with yourself right. and doing what you know is right. And uh, yeah, you, you just, you can't live with yourself. You, you just can't. And so, yeah. And the people who are, they have anxiety. They've got, they've got 
issues to deal with. And that doesn't go away. Once you leave it, once you make those firm decisions, you get a lot of peace. You get a lot of perspective on life. You age spiritually, mentally, and physically because it is hard. You age very quick. I'm around people my age all the time, and we do not talk about the same stuff after this type of thing. It's like a guy who goes to war and comes back. You age in all those different ways. In experience, you age physically. like It literally takes a toll physically, but you do not approach things the same way. You do not approach almost anything the same way. You look at a lot of things very different, and it's because you are a much more evolved or experienced person. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. So really, it's kind of like you're... You want to build a testimony of something, get up and defend it and yeah, and see what that corner reveals. Um, mm-hmm. That's why you don't got to be worried if people attack you or if you get hit or if you get questioned or criticized. I'll say this, the big difference between a BYU animation room or a high school animation room or even where I work now, the big difference between amateur production and professional, the highest level, because I'm in the NBA or the NFL of art. Once you're in Pixar or DreamWorks, you're on one of the pro teams. Okay. That's like you're on the Chiefs or the Bills or the Bengals. And so what happens is when you're on that level, guess what life is like? Everything you do is criticized on the professional level. Everything you do is questioned. Everything you do is slaughtered in front of your face. Everything you do is hyper scrutinized. That's what a professional does. They deal with criticism all day long. And so same thing religion-wise or proclamation family. If you want to rise and play on the hard level, if you're not getting criticized, if you're not having hate, if you're not getting resistance, you're not playing at the hardest level. And that resistance will mold and question your testimony. I'm sorry, not question. It will mold and create your testimony because it'll be tried. It'll be forced to go one way or the other. So you don't got to worry so much about opposition, so much about hate. That's like like Joseph Smith. It, 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 it uh, smooths him. It, it creates him. Yeah. So, so it, the, the, the story was not a destroyer or a, uh, or a diminisher or a pacifier. It was definitely a, a solidifying, freezing, metallicizing. It, it, it basically forged hard metal nodes right. in my brain and spirit of what was just mushy before. Right. It, it, like you, you probably think of me as a little bit firm, a little bit intense, I was not this intense before. <laughs> this created this. Yeah. This created this uh, where you you just you just know you've been there and you already made the choice. Yeah, that's huge. And thanks for sharing that. I think maybe that's the invitation to all of our listeners is to to stand up today and do something. Heck uh, yeah. Try to make a change. Start by taking time for the people who you influence. That's where you start. From there. You can go to social media if you want, and you can start to try to influence people you have a little bit of a more circle from. Once you've got that, usually everything falls in place. If you can go beyond that and get involved in your city, if you can get involved in media, which is very rare, very few people have the skill set or the uh, the mind to do it uh, because it's so... Uh, time-consuming and energy-taking. But if you can do that, contribute to it. If you are in the industry and you know how to do it and you're willing to do it, you are one in a th- one in 10,000 because so few are willing to do it. 
if, if, if you can get to those circles, great. But all you need to do is the people you influence directly and then a little bit more than that on social. And you've already done more than almost anyone. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so much. And, and thanks for showing that example of, of doing something. That's uh, kind of an intense doing. I think if we all did that, I think a, a lot would change uh, probably pretty quickly. That's true. So thanks so much for sharing that with us. You bet. Thanks Appreciate for having it. me on. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Raising Family Podcast. This episode was produced by Carol Rice. Our research coordinator is Angela Valentine. Audio was edited and mixed by John Wright. The Raising Family Podcast is brought to you by thefamilyproclamation.org.